Good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. It's good to have you joining us online today as well. Um, we've gone through the last couple of weeks. It's been pretty troubling, hasn't it? Look at what's going on in our country and in our world. It, it, it's, been a, it's been a pretty troubling couple weeks, and quite often I end my sermon with a prayer, but this morning I want to begin my sermon with a prayer. Uh, so bow with me, please. Father, we come to you with um, a lot more questions than answers. We, we look at what's going on in, in our country, look at what's going on in our, our neighborhoods with the just the spike of this virus and the things that are going on with our families and our children and schools, and, and we're, we're worried about that. And then we, we see the events of places like Haiti with so much loss of life and so many lives disrupted, and, and we're concerned about that, and we see the events that have been unfolding and the chaos in Afghanistan, and uh, we feel so helpless and, and somewhat hopeless. Father, we, we know that you are not uh, uh, weak. We know that you have the ability and the desire to make things right in a very broken world. So, Father, our prayer is that you would be involved in, uh, in a way that only you can as we think about our parents and our teachers, as we think about uh, people helping those who are suffering, as we think about our military and uh, our leaders. I pray that you would bless them in every way, that you would strengthen them, and that you would do what, uh, what only you can do. Thank you for the hope that comes by being able to call you our Father, and thank you for the life that we have in Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Okay, this seems very high to me, but okay, maybe I'm getting shorter. I don't know. I don't know how to put it down. So um, I'm afraid if I move it, it's going to go way down. Like that. Okay. A couple weeks ago, I thought, we're getting there. We're getting back together. Things are trending in the right direction. We're meeting together. We're worshiping together. You know, we're talking about going to two services. People are more comfortable coming back. And then this thing spiked a week or two ago. And we seem to kind of reset the clock on just our ability to, to do life together again and our ability to kind of get together as a group and get involved in each other's lives. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I thought this is the perfect time to kind of re-energize re -energize and refocus on our 242 uh, um, theme, you know, Acts 242, the, the kind of Jesus followers that we want to be. And then again, we you know, seem to have lost all momentum but I don't think any of that negates the need to be reminded of who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. So whether we're here or whether you're there or you know, wherever we are together, however that looks, I think it's a good idea to be reminded that God is still in control, that His church is still on the move, and the good news of Jesus still changes lives and saves souls. So, once again... I want to remind you this morning of a passage that we are using as the template uh, here at Bay Area. And I'm not doing this kind of several weeks in a row just to, to kind of get you tired of hearing it. Really, just the opposite. I want it to be so familiar to us that we know exactly what to expect. And we know what's expected. 
what we're about. So, so here you go, again. Not sure this is working, George, or Janet. Here we go, again. Thank you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the way the writer Luke describes kind of the day-to-day events of these very first Jesus followers. But I want to back up a little bit this morning and get a little bit more specific about where this thing actually starts. If we back up one verse, point it. I'm, I'm, this is what I'm doing. There you go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's what we keep coming back to, right? That's, that's the 242 graphic. That's on the, the, the banners that you pass every time you walk into the auditorium here. But for this morning, I actually want to back up just a little bit farther, get a little bit more specific about where this thing starts. They devoted themselves. 18 months ago or so, I preached several sermons on that phrase. They devoted themselves. But really for this morning, I want to back up a little bit more. I want to keep this as simple and as linear as I possibly can. That word devotion, that's a big word. That word devotion involves uh, quite a commitment. So before you make that commitment, before you can, make a, uh, before you can be devoted, it all starts with a decision. You've got to first make a decision. Am I going to be devoted and what am I going to be devoted to? You've got to make that decision. Am I going to be devoted to something that's good, something that's worthwhile? Am I going to be devoted to something that's kind of fleeting, temporary, superficial? I've got a decision to make. So the question becomes, how do I make a great decision? And I said great decision because I don't want to make a bad decision. And I don't really want to make a decision. I want to make a great decision. I want my decisions to be great. I'm convinced that the difference between people who really seem to flourish in life and those who seem to kind of struggle through life doesn't depend so much on money or health or talent or even intelligence. I think it's wisdom. I think it comes down to wisdom. I think the people that flourish in life are people wise enough to make great decisions. Came across a little bit of research this week. Uh, One researcher researcher said that the average person makes about 70 conscious decisions every single day. I mean, there's a lot of things we do just by habit. You You get up and you shower and you brush your teeth, but about 70 times a day, you are going to make a decision that counts, a decision that matters. It's a little over 25,000 a year. 
If you live to be into your 70s, you've made about 2 million decisions that matter in a lifetime. We don't want to make bad decisions, right? We want to make great decisions because we know what happens, you know, the result of bad decisions. Bad decisions can ruin a marriage, can ruin your health, your financial stability, relationships, your family, your career, happiness, even your soul. That's why Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, chapter 19, verse 3, people ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they are angry at the Lord. (laughs) Isn't that so true? People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they're angry at the Lord. I want you to think of all the decisions that you've made in your lifetime. Like mass confession time right now, just so we level the playing field. How many of you have ever made some really bad decisions in your life? Yeah, you don't even have to raise your hand. We're, we're, all, we're all there. You know, think about all the, the, the choices that you had and the decisions you made. The, the, the money that I make, what do I do with it? You know, do I save it? Do I spend it? Uh, who to date? Who to marry? What food to eat? What food not to eat? The, the words that I decide to use, the words I don't decide to use. What I do with my time, my relationships, my habits, my thoughts. I think we would all say that we can think of a lot of decisions that we have regretted making. You know, we're all like um, disasters at this, aren't we? We all have that in common. And I know we're focusing on Acts chapter 2 and that 242 theme, but this morning I want to go back to an Old Testament story that you're going to be familiar with. It's an event that takes place in the life of King Solomon. And you all know a couple things about King Solomon. You know that he was, most of you know, if you have kids in Faith Lane, that he was the third king of Israel, the son of King David. And most people know, whether they know very much about the Bible or not, that Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And most people that have some church background will be able to tell you why Solomon was so wise. And the reason was, one night God comes to Solomon in a dream and says, ask what you want and I will give it to you. God basically approaches Solomon and says, blank check, Solomon. You ask what you want me to do for you and I will do it for you. And we know the story well enough to know that Solomon said, Wisdom. Wisdom is what I most want. And I wonder if God came to me and asked me, Tim, you tell me what you want and I will give it to you. If he came to you and said, you tell me what you want and I'll give it to you, would we say wisdom? We would today because we're in church and we're talking about Solomon and we know this story. So yes, we would certainly say wisdom But would we really? Would we really ask God for wisdom 70 times a day, 25,000 times a year? Solomon's first uh, decision is to ask God for the wisdom in making all their other decisions. No wonder Solomon would share with us what what his dad David told him in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. David told Solomon, getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. You know, we know the story of Solomon, and God asks him this question. Solomon says, I want wisdom, and we go, wow, way to go, Solomon. We should be saying, way to go, David. 
Because David told Solomon, getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. In fact, eight different times, David is going to tell his son Solomon, seek wisdom and understanding in leading the people. So we should say, way to go, David, for teaching your son the importance of wisdom, which is a great lesson for all us dads and all us parents. But, but here's my first response to the question that I asked. How do we make great decisions? And Paul, I'm going to thank you for setting the stage for my sermon in your class this morning because you talked about some of these exact same things. Uh, how do we make great decisions? We decide to put batteries in this thing. There you go. Pray. We pray. I said, how many of you would actually ask God for wisdom? I hope you all have asked God for wisdom. Because James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. Let me break this verse down for you just a minute. No, I don't have to break this verse down, do I? No one needs to explain this verse to you. It is as clear and simple as it could possibly be. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it abundantly. You need wisdom? Ask God. God will give you wisdom. He'll give it generously. God loves to give wisdom to people who ask. He loves to do that. And the truth of that actually goes a little bit deeper. And the truth of that reality goes to a little bit to a place where it's harder for us to kind of wrap our minds around sometimes because we all sort of struggle, at least we do. I know my audience. We all sort of struggle with living my life in the will of God. I, I, I desperately want to live my life within God's will. So, how do I get wisdom to do that? And, and how do I decide, talking about decisions, how do I decide what is God's will in my life? I remember when I was just uh, beginning college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I grew up. I didn't really know what I wanted to study. Uh, so, I prayed about it because people told me you should pray about that, which was great advice, by the way. So I prayed to God, okay, what exactly should I be preparing myself for? Now, where do you think I should be kind of uh, putting my attention and, and, and my studies and, and my uh, efforts? You know what God told me? Nothing. Silence. As far as I could tell. I never got a word from God about, I think you should major in this. I think you should prepare for this. I never heard that. I never felt that. Now, does that mean that God didn't answer my prayer? Not at all. It just took me a little bit longer to understand how God answered that prayer and what I was really asking. Now, I have become convinced uh, that God's primary will for your life is not the things that you do, but rather the person you become. I am convinced that that's true. God's primary will for your life isn't just about the things that you do, it's the person that you're becoming. No. I don't think God really gets real hung up on the school that you should attend. Maybe not even the job that you should take, where you should live, the person you should marry. God's primary concern for your life is that you are becoming more and more in the image of Jesus Christ. You are becoming more and more like his son. And by the way, no circumstance can prevent that. Now, 
we all intellectually understand this, especially us parents. We get that, right? Parents, would you want to follow your child around every moment of every day saying, wear this, eat this meal, take this class, study for this test, go to this school, apply for this job, live in this house, marry this person? Would you like to do that, parents? The answer is no. <laughs> no, the answer is no. We would not like to do that. Because as parents, we're not trying to create these little robots that just go around uh, uh, doing, you know, following our instructions. We're trying to, to raise our children in a way that they become people of character, and judgment, and discernment. And that only happens by allowing our children to make decisions. Lots and lots of decisions. And sometimes they're going to make the wrong decision. But it's part of the learning process. And by the way, I'll say this. If God does have a specific place where He wants you to be and a specific thing that God wants you to do, He is more than capable of making that known. But I think sometimes, and probably even most of the time, God says, I want you to make that decision. I want you to decide. Because again, the decision-making process is such an indispensable part of character formation. God is in the transformation business. He's constantly trying to shape our character more and more into the image of Christ. That passage I just had up there from James. Uh, James did not say, God is going to relieve you of all the difficulty of making hard decisions. And James didn't say, God's going to take away all the uh, apprehension and all the responsibility of making hard decisions. What James said was, ask God for wisdom. And he'll give it to you. Generously. And then, you and God do this together. God is interested in who we are becoming. So, you know, we talk about how do I make great decisions. Well, it starts with the Solomon ask. And not necessarily, God, should it be door number one, door number two, or door number three, but God, give me wisdom. Give me a discerning heart and an understanding mind. And then here's my second uh, uh, suggestion. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm just following up on what Paul said. Not even the Apostle Paul. Get wise counsel. Seek the counsel of people that you are convinced love God and love you. Ask people that you trust. Hey, I've got something going on in my life. I value your opinion. I think you have my best interest at heart. I, I, I know you're a, a man or a woman of, of faith. Let me bounce something off you. There's a tremendous amount of, of uh, benefit in that. You know, quite often, God speaks wisdom to us through somebody else. I got Proverbs 12 on the screen there. The way of the fool seems right to him. Which is such a great statement. The way of the fool seems right to him. Why? Because he's a fool. <laughs> of course it seems right to him. But you know, there's a fool in all of us, isn't there? A little bit of fool in me. A little bit of fool in you, too. The way of the fool seems right to the fool, but a wise man listens to advice. And ironically... One of the greatest violators of this was Solomon. 
The guy who asked for wisdom. The guy who was granted wisdom. We read in 1 Kings that later on in life, Solomon takes 700 wives of royal birth. And he takes 300 concubines. And 1 Kings tells us that Solomon's wives led him astray. So here's a little bit of free wisdom for you. A little bit of free advice. Don't marry 700 women. Don't take the amen. Don't take 300 concubines. Amen. Amen. (laughs) See, don't do that and you're already ahead of the wisest man that ever lived, right? You know, but seriously, part of what Solomon's life tells us is that this battle for wisdom, it's never over. We never arrive. We always are, are, are needing God to grant us wisdom because we all have weaknesses. We've all got blind spots. Nobody's perfect. Then here's my third strategy when it comes to making great decisions. Put your decision into action and trust God. Got a decision to make, you pray about it, you ask people that you trust for advice, and then there comes a time when you just got to pull the trigger. You just got to do what you're convinced uh, is in the will of God. Trust God to be with you. You Quite often we don't do things because we suffer from that old uh, adage of paralysis from analysis. We get so worried about making the wrong decision. It's actually a, a word for that. Decidophobia, not making that up. That's true, decidophobia. It's people who have a phobia about making decisions. They get so anxious about making the wrong decision that they won't make any decision. I don't know if any of you very often eat at the Cheesecake Factory. Every now and then, Martha and I will treat ourselves to the Cheesecake Factory. But then they put the menu down in front of me. You know that menu? It's like the size of the last Harry Potter novel. I mean, they have more options than any restaurant I've ever seen. I never make it past page three. And I always end up ordering the exact same thing. Just give me that chicken thing with the biscuit and the mashed potatoes and the mushrooms. What page is that on? I don't know. What's it called? I don't know. Just give me that. You know, my wife will say, well, like, do you want to try something different? No. No, because I I might make a bad decision. I might order something that I don't like. Well, then you'll know. Yeah, and I'll have wasted 22 bucks. Just give me the chicken thing with the biscuit. That's what I want. My dad used to have a saying when we were growing up. There There was something that needed to be done, and he'd tell us what to do and how to do it, and he'd show us where it was and, you know, what he expected of us, and then he'd just say, well, nothing left to it but to do it which was code for get out of the truck and go to work. (laughs) Sometimes we need to remember and sometimes we need to be reminded there's nothing left to it but to do it. It's time to put our decisions into action. But we're not doing it alone. I put on the screen a great verse for you to take into the week with you. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power of love and self-discipline. God wants you to grow in wisdom. God has promised to grow you in wisdom. This week, there's going to be all kind of decisions that you're going to make. 70 decisions you're going to make today. 
Let's practice making those decisions with God, allowing Him to grow us in wisdom. Let's test Him. Let's see if He'll do what He promised He'll do. He hasn't broken one yet, by the way. Now, before I sit down, I do want to say one thing that's really important. Some of you might be sitting there thinking right now, you know, it's already too late for me. I've made some decisions that are pretty firmly in the can't-be-undone category. I've blown up my marriage. I've alienated a friend or a child or a parent, and we're not speaking anymore. I violated my integrity in some, you know, some public way. And that can't be undone. You know, what do I do now? Now, we're talking about making great decisions this morning, but I want you to hear me when I say this. We are not saved by the great decisions that we make. We're saved by the grace of God. And I want you to understand that. We are not saved by our great decisions. We're saved by the grace of God. And what I mean when I say that is that there is no decision that you can make that is so bad that God won't decide to forgive you for it. You know, I I love this. You think about the very end of Jesus' life. He's hanging on a cross. Beside him is another guy hanging on a cross. And this is a man who has made some really bad decisions in his lifetime. He's a thief, he's corrupt, he's deceitful, he's greedy. And the very last decision he makes is to throw himself on the mercy of Jesus. Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus told him, I will. This day you'll be with me in paradise. Here's my last point, and it's, it's important enough that I put it on the slide. With God, the decision that matters most is the one you make right now. With God, the decision that matters the most is the decision you make right now. It's to tell our kids, wherever you are, whatever you've done, make the right next decision. Do the the right next, uh, the next right thing. That's what we told them. (laughs) Do the next right thing. Make your next decision. A great decision. The one you make right now. Remember we started this thing in in 242. They devoted themselves. to The apostles' teaching. The fellowship. The breaking of bread. To prayer. Before we can be devoted to anything, we have to make a decision. What do I want to be devoted to? What am I going to devote myself to? A day is coming when all of humanity is going to be divided into one of two groups. Those who have decided to devote themselves to Jesus and those who have decided to reject Jesus. There will only be two groups. There won't be a third group. There won't be a, yeah, but I was a really good person. Did you decide to be devoted to Jesus or did you decide to reject Jesus? There's a narrow road and there's a broad road. There's only two roads. There's no third road. There's a wide gate and there's a narrow gate. There's only two gates. There's no third gate. You know, God's Word tells us that if we repent of our sins, that He is just and He'll forgive us our sins. We're told if we confess Jesus as the Lord of our lives, 
If we confess him before men, he'll confess us before his Father in heaven. We're commanded to, be, uh, to submit to water baptism for the forgiveness of our sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is living in us and through us. And that's a decision that we get to make. And maybe you haven't made that decision yet. Chances are, for most of you, you have made that decision, but maybe there's still some places in your life where you're not quite devoted. Some corners of your heart that I'm not willing to surrender that to God. you got a decision to make today. Am I going to decide to be devoted to Jesus? It all starts with a decision. As a church family, if we can help you in those decisions in any way, uh, let us know. If you're here in the auditorium, there's going to be some people at the front of the auditorium here. If you're online, uh, there's going to be a way for you to get in touch with this as well. But we would, love to, we would love to help each other become the kind of men and women and the kind of family that God has called us to be. Let's go ahead and be standing uh, while we sing.